Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. The last couple of weeks have seen some interesting developments in terms of the Reserve Bank. I guess the good news is that Australia's inflation rate for the March quarter and indeed March fell, and that's certainly welcome news because it likely confirms that we saw the peak in inflation in the December quarter. Of course, inflation is still too high, but that downtrend which is actually coming in a little bit faster than the Reserve Bank expected, provides scope or at least bolsters the case for the Reserve Bank to leave interest rates again on hold when they meet in May. Before that, though, of course, we saw the unveiling of the Independent Review of the Reserve Bank of Australia, and it was called an RBA Fit for the Future. It's received much attention with talk of a radical overhaul of the RBA. However, there is a real risk in grossly exaggerating the problem and undertaking a big change at the RBA with unclear benefits. In particular, there is a danger in assuming the approach employed by some foreign central banks must be better than our own. Since the middle of the last decade, it's often thought that the RBA has made three key mistakes, and these are, of course, covered as episodes of concern in the review. The first one was arguably running monetary policy too tight in the years ahead of the pandemic, such that inflation was below target. The second one was arguably providing too much stimulus to the economy through the pandemic. This included the 0.1% target for the three-year bond yield and forward guidance to the effect that it did not expect conditions to be met to raise interest rates until 2024 at the earliest. And finally, it's arguable that the Reserve Bank was initially too slow to start removing monetary stimulus in the face of rising inflation from 2021. Now, of course, some may add another two issues, I guess, to that list. First one is that the Reserve Bank ran a very easy monetary policy and that boosted home prices to excessively high levels. Now, of course, the problem with that assertion is that it's inconsistent with the first so-called mistake, where many would argue that they ran overly tight monetary policy. I guess the fifth concern that's often raised is that the Reserve bank has increased interest rates too aggressively over the last year or so and in the process has not allowed for the threat to indebted households and unemployment and or enough time to assess the lagged impact of rate hikes. While I too have concerns on this front, it is too early, of course, to say who is right, particularly with inflation still high, albeit it's falling, and unemployment still very low and below most estimates of full employment. By raising rates a bit less so far than many other major central banks, the RBA has arguably been more balanced in hiking than others have been. Now, of course, the first concern about the Reserve Bank's monetary policy in the last decade, that is arguably running monetary policy too tight in the years ahead of the pandemic and undershooting on inflation, was the major issue that led to calls for a review of the RBA. And then understandable community angst around the perceived no rate hikes to 2024 guidance and the rapid pace of hikes uh, since has arguably reinforced it. So let's now take a quick look at the key recommendations of the review. It came up with 51 recommendations to reinforce the monetary policy framework, decision-making, culture, and governance of the RBA. Putting aside the issues around RBA culture, the key recommendations are as follows. Firstly, the review affirmed the flexible 2-3% inflation target, which has generally worked well in the words of the review. Although it did recommend that the RBA's objective should be more clearly and equally defined around price stability, in other words, low inflation and full employment. Secondly, it said that there should be a removal of the, on average, over time, 
some reference to the achievement of the 2 to 3% inflation target, which should be replaced with the RBA explaining how it is using its flexibility, including how quickly it is aiming to return inflation to around the midpoint of the target. Thirdly, the review affirmed the Reserve Bank's independence and that it be strengthened with removal of the power of the treasurer to overrule it. The fourth point is that the review proposed to separate the RBA board from 1 July next year into a governance board with an external chair to support and oversee the management of the RBA and a dedicated monetary policy board to determine monetary policy. In terms of the monetary policy board, it's to be comprised of the RBA governor as chair, deputy governor, and Treasury Secretary with six external members with expertise in macroeconomics, the financial system, labour markets, and the supply side of the economy. The review proposed that the Monetary Policy Board would have formal votes with the six external members, presumably having the potential to override RBA recommendations. The review also proposed that the Monetary Policy Board would move to eight meetings a year from 11 for the current board to allow for better deliberation in terms of monetary policy decisions. It also proposed or recommended that press conferences be held after each monetary policy meeting with an increased amount of information to be released in relation to decisions and that external board members would be able to publicly discuss decisions and have access to RBA staff. The basic central bank model proposed by the review of a separate monetary policy board or committee, eight meetings a year, press conferences after each meeting with all members speaking on monetary policy is essentially what is undertaken to varying degrees in the UK, US, Canada and New Zealand. But in my view, it's not at all clear that the case for radical change to adopt the proposed foreign model has been made. Looking at the key recommendations of the review, the RBA has already been targeting both price stability and full employment under Governor Lowe, which partly explains why it's been less aggressive in raising interest rates than other central banks have been over the course of the last year or more. So it's not clear that equalising the objectives of price stability and full employment would really make much of a difference to the way the RBA does things. Given the debilitating impact of high inflation on the economy, one might also argue that low and stable inflation is in fact a precondition for sustained full employment. Secondly, it's not clear that switching to regular press conferences and commentary from external monetary policy board members will add much except more noise and potentially more confusion around RBA decisions. And you can see an example of this in the US, where there are often several Fed Federal Reserve speakers commenting on interest rates every day with often differing views. And the RBA arguably already supplies a lot of information. In fact, I would say they probably provide a bit too much information a third point is the removal of the on average over time reference to the inflation target with the RBA explaining how it is using its flexibility may make the RBA less tolerant of short term deviations from the inflation target. So it could actually result in more aggressive and volatile moves in interest rates posing a greater threat to full employment. So I'm not sure that it, that it actually makes sense to remove that reference to achieving the 2 to 3% inflation target on average over time. Switching to less meetings may contribute to better quality decisions because there would be more information available going into each meeting, or more new information rather, but it may also make the RBA less agile, reduce announcement effects that come with regular meetings and regular announcements, and necessitate bigger moves as seen by other central banks. Having more monetary policy experts involved in the determination of monetary policy at the board level is potentially a move in the right direction, in that such a board may be better able to challenge the RBA and adds to its views. But it's not entirely clear that the current board has been remiss in this regard. Governor Lowe and some board members 
certainly don't seem to agree or see it this way. Yes, the RBA has arguably made some mistakes in recent times, but these have mostly only been clear with the benefit of hindsight and also partly reflect other factors through a period of extreme economic shocks that wrong-footed governments and many economists at times as well. For example, the inflation overshoot prior to the pandemic partly reflected RBA concerns to avoid aiding to already high levels of household debt with already record low interest rates, along with the federal government at the time was focused on fiscal austerity, such that monetary policy and fiscal policy were actually pushing in opposite directions. The Reserve Bank's excessive stimulus, arguably through the pandemic, reflected the massive threat at the time, with share markets plunging 35% in a month and talk of a deep recession. So it's all very easy right now to look back and say, well, they overstimulated things. But if you go back to 2020, that wasn't clear to anybody at the time. In fact, all the concern was about double digit unemployment and deep recession. And its initial response to rising inflation recently arguably reflected concerns about the fragility of the recovery and a fear that we would simply go back to the chronic low inflation seen in the pre-pandemic period if the Reserve Bank moved too quickly to raise interest rates as we went into last year. Having more macroeconomic economic experts on the board may at the margin help a rerun or help avert a rerun of some of the RBA's missteps in relation to yield targeting and communication, particularly the no rate hike till 2024 guidance, but the RBA has already learnt from those experiences and it's unlikely to repeat them again anyway. And finally, the potential for external members to outvote the RBA members on the Monetary Policy Board with six votes to two or three, depending on whether the Treasury is included, could create confusion and actually reduce formal internal RBA accountability. Overall, the recommended changes from the review, if implemented, are unlikely to have a significant impact on the outlook for monetary policy as flexible 2 to 3% inflation targeting will sensibly remain in place. In particular, there is nothing in the recommendations pointing to a less hawkish RBA that some may have been hoping for. If anything, professional economists on the Monetary Policy Board could actually be more hawkish. Don't forget that there are plenty of other central banks in the UK, New Zealand, Canada and the US that have separate Monetary Policy Committees. Less meetings and press conferences after each meeting, which have actually been more aggressive and arguably less balanced in raising interest rates than the Reserve Bank has. A key concern is that it's questionable whether moving to the separate Monetary Policy Board, less meetings, more press conferences and more speakers on Monetary Policy model employed in several other countries, notably the UK, Canada, the US and New Zealand to varying degrees, is justified. When those countries have not necessarily achieved better economic outcomes than the RBA. As the Reserve Bank Review itself notes, Australia's economic performance has been very good since flexible inflation targeting was introduced in the early 1990s, and at least on a par with other comparable countries. And there is a broad consensus among those that the review consulted that the Reserve Bank has contributed significantly to those outcomes. So if the proposed model is not demonstrated, demonstrably superior in terms of achieving far better outcomes, why make the change to it? So in conclusion, the shift to flexible inflation targeting of 2-3% to and RBA independence three decades ago was a monumental shift and since then, in the words of the review, Australia's economic performance has been very good. Some of what is proposed by the review has merit, but it is not clear that the basic foreign central bank banking model posed is superior to what we have now. In fact, we risk throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I hope this has been of interest. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. 